Welcome to the Global Business Women's Pod, brought to you by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. I am Susan Dyson and proud to be the CEO, President, and Founder of the Chamber. Please join us for this empowering podcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. This audio interview is produced by Longitude, a financial times company based on research commissioned by Deloitte as part of their Women at Work research for 2022. The workplace has changed dramatically in the wake of the pandemic. And while some of these changes have been positive, others have not. As we settle back into the new normal, it's clear that COVID-19 has dealt a major setback for women's equality. Boundaries between work and home have deteriorated, causing a rise in burnout and a drop in women's well-being. Women continue to deal with harassment and microaggressions in the virtual workplace, and more than half struggle to see a long-term future in their jobs. According to the World Economic Forum, the pandemic has held gender parity efforts back by a generation or more. So what can be done to address this growing gulf? I'm Hannah Freegard, Managing Editor at Longitude, a Financial Times company, and to discuss this, I'm joined by Emma Codd, Global Inclusion Leader at Deloitte Global. Hi, Emma. Lovely to be speaking with you again today, and I'm delighted to be discussing the findings of the Deloitte Women at Work research for 2022. I know this is the second year that Deloitte's carried out the uh, Women at Work research, and just as an opening question, I was wondering, why did you decide this research was so important, and why did you decide to run it again this year? So we originally came up with the idea for this research actually pre-pandemic, so it was back in 2019. And I have long had a personal view that when it comes to gender equality, a really critical element is what I always call everyday culture, everyday experiences. You know, you've got policies and then you've got actually the reality. And so we decided that there was really very interesting to conduct a piece of research, a global piece of research, where we could understand women's everyday experiences in the workplace. So we also wanted to understand what policies existed, but a big part of this was, you know, looking at uh, flexible working, but actually does it work and and is it working um in non-inclusive behaviors? And then the pandemic happened. So so we took a pause and then decided that it was really important we did this research. So we've got a number of questions which are around you know, women's everyday experiences, and some of those relate to pandemic, and some of those go beyond that. Why did we decide to do it again this year? Well, it's a really important piece of research, and and as I said, you know, it doesn't just relate to the pandemic. There is, you know, clearly the pandemic has been a significant issue, you know, and there are a number of findings related to that. But actually, you know, this is a barometer. This is how women in the workplace are feeling today. This is what they're experiencing. And, and we wanted to continue to, to look at it. And, and equally, we wanted to build in some aspects of what we would call the new normal and, and to try and understand you know, this new way of working, um, hybrid working, and has flexible working got better with the pandemic? All of those things we built in. And that's why this year is so interesting. 
I absolutely agree. And just analysing the the data is just fascinating, particularly looking at the impact of, you know, on women's mental well-being and, you know, how things have changed for them over the past 12 months and what organisations are doing to try and support women um, in their workforce. It would be really interesting to hear, Emma, which of the findings this year immediately stood out to you? Well, first of all, I think I expected to see an improvement on last year in some of the areas, um, and and I didn't. We saw small improvements around work-life balance, um, job satisfaction, motivation. They were slightly larger improvements. So that's good news. That to me is, you know, I'll take that. But actually, I'd say, you know, standout burnout, as, as you mentioned. So the level of burnout, the number of women that are telling us that they've currently are experiencing that, you know, around half women are feeling or experiencing burnout um, in the workplace, higher stress and anxiety, uh, poor mental well-being. We've all read about the great resignation and we want to try and understand what is driving that. And and interesting to me is what is driving that. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's very concerning. What is currently driving that is burnout. So, you know, so 40% of the women that are currently looking for another role or were looking when we polled, burnout was was the top driver. Now, and and actually, when when we look at the data, what, you know, one of the interesting things is that wasn't a top driver previously. So that that to me was was a really strong finding. Um, And then then I'd say finally, hybrid working. Mm-hmm. And we used, you know, we want to understand, you know, this new normal. So hybrid working where we will typically, the workplace will not only be physically present in the office, but the workplace will also be at home or wherever we're, we're dialing in from. And, and really very concerning findings around that in terms of how women are feeling when it comes to, to exclusion. There's so much to to unpack there. And I, I found the findings around burnout really fascinating too. It's easy to assume that it would potentially help to reduce burnout by enabling more flexibility, but really the data indicates that perhaps that's not the case. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. You know, is, is hybrid working really working for all women or not? I can tell you what the data tells us is that it isn't working for all women. And if you look at some of the sort of burnout related data, a big driving factor is always on. The women that we've spoken to, one of the things that's driving that always on is concern about career impact and career progression if they are not always on. And I think that that hasn't gone away, that that doesn't go. So that's something I think is, has stayed the same with hybrid working. I think that the concerns about exclusion, which uh, it has concerned me for for a few months. And I, I've always sort of said hybrid working is ours to mess up because actually it, it could be this incredible way of working. And, and I'm, I've always been a big fan of agile or flexible working. I've always believed that, you know, this is so critical actually for everybody, for all genders. But what the women we've spoken to are, are very clearly telling us is that they are experiencing exclusion. So, you know, for important meetings, they have felt excluded and that's, you know, it's around 60% of the women. It's a huge number of women have experienced that. And then you've got that critical thing around sponsorship and access to, to people who are influential and could be influential in your career. And, you know, a large number of women telling us that they don't have 
um, or they don't believe that um, they have you know enough uh, access to sponsorship when they're working in a hybrid environment. And then you've got the great challenge of proximity bias for those that are leading and are making decisions. You know, it's putting all those guards in place to make sure that you are not instinctively choosing or, you know, favouring those that you've seen physically. One of the things related to that that I found quite shocking was I think it was less than 10% of women said they thought they could take advantage of flexible working without it impacting their career progression, which just goes to show that in practice, potentially, you know, it's not working and, and employers need to do more to ensure that it does. And I was wondering, do you have any thoughts around you know, what employers and organisations can do to enable women to work flexibly without those those fears and concerns. Yeah, and I and that stat was I I agree with you, that was really concerning, although it it concerning, but to be really honest, unsurprising. Again, only a third of the women that we spoke to actually work for companies that offer any sort of flexible working. So that's, and by flexible working, what we mean is the ability to reduce your hours, the ability to maybe term time work, all of those great things that everybody would like. And and yet you've got this very relatively small number of employers that are offering it. And as you said, you've got this real concern about career impact. So, you know, these women that are saying, well, I'm not going to ask for it because if I ask to work in that way, I'm going to be judged adversely. People will think I'm not serious about my career if I want some sort of work-life balance. I mean, this is, this is utterly ridiculous, but, that, but this is the culture with clearly that exists within some of these organizations. And then, then critically for me, one of the reasons that flexible working fails is where your workload is not adjusted. So you will have people that say, right, I'm 100% at the moment and I'd like to go down to 80% presence. Okay, well, then what that means in reality is that you then need to have 80% of the workload that you previously had. And yet a massive 90% of the women we spoke to told us that if they requested to reduce their hours to work in that way, they do not believe their workload would be adjusted accordingly. So you're not going to avail yourself of it. And guess what? You'll go to a company where you can. We need to make it really clear that if you don't get this right, you will lose incredible people that you've invested really heavily in of all genders. So you have to get this right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think you new know, organisations will suffer as well because they'll just lose a lot of the talent from their workforce. And I think some of the things you pointed to there are obviously around, it's about having that sort of holistic culture of inclusion and a culture that wants to support women in the workplace. And one of the other findings that was quite striking was around the high proportion of women, I think it was 59%, who say they'd experienced non-inclusive behaviours over the past uh, 12 months. So that could be kind of microaggressions um, or even harassment. Yeah. So so we asked these questions last year. Um, what we didn't do last year was report findings, uh, break it out between harassment and microaggressions. And this has been something that we were able to do this year. And it's been really interesting to look at the difference there. So starting point is that when we asked women, what is the one thing, what can an organisation do to better um, enable to succeed when it comes to gender equality in the workplace? The number one thing that women told us was to embed a truly respectful and inclusive culture. So that's so that's the first thing. That's what people, you know, that's what women are saying that they want to happen. 
So then you move on to the data around non-inclusive behaviours. And, and, you know, as you say, it's nearly 60%. And that's an increase from, from last year. Last year was bad enough. Last year was just over 50%. This is up from that. And still really low numbers of those women are reporting to their employer when they experience um, non-inclusive behaviours. But actually, it then it, when you look at it, I mean, you look at the difference between harassment and microaggressions, you do see some quite stark differences. So 14% of women that we polled have experienced harassment. I mean, it needs to be 0%, but actually, so that's 14%. And it's a massive 50%. Half the women we spoke to have experienced microaggressions in the workplace. And then actually, when you look at the breakdown of have they reported, haven't they? It's interesting because harassment, 66%, so two thirds of of the women who have experienced um, harassment at work have reported. You'd like to see it that it's 100%. That's where it needs to be. But interestingly, only 23% of those that have experienced microaggressions in the workplace have reported to their employer. And so you end up with this, you know, sort of vicious circle of, of you know, you experience it. And if you then can't correct it, so you, you can't do anything about it, it's, it's just going to keep happening. And when, when you look at the overall data about why aren't you reporting, so it's, you know, fear of career penalty, actually very similar to last year. But then a really, you know, a, a large number of women believing that, well, what's the point of reporting? Because guess what? There's going to be no action taken as a, as a result. And then finally, the worrying thing is that, you know, we asked a question around whether there's a clear process and policy for reporting these behaviours. And over 75% of the women work for an employer who, who that doesn't have a clear policy for reporting. So you've got this whole thing around, oh, do I report because what's going to happen to my career? This person is responsible for my career. Um, Will it be taken seriously? What what will happen? And then you've got this, for, for many of these women, you've got this situation where, well, where do I go? How do I report it? What do I expect will happen as a result? What is the process? And that just just doesn't exist. Yeah, it seems unbelievable that not all all organisations today would not even have a clear process for, for reporting those type of behaviours. And one of the things that we looked at when we did the analysis was how different groups of women were disproportionately affected by those non-inclusive behaviours and you know, incidents of harassment. And we did find that certain um, groups of women were more likely to have experienced those behaviours. So, for example, LGBTQ plus women, um, women in minority groups, for example, were more likely to have experienced certain types of non-inclusive behaviours. Could you explain a bit about your thoughts on how organisations you know, address how certain groups of women may be more affected than others by some of these issues. Yeah, I mean, and it's a really important point. And this data shows us it has an impact and and for the worse. And and particularly when it comes to microaggressions. And in terms of of how to deal with it, this to me again, this is about fixing organizations, not fixing women. I think far too much we see courses and things that are um, you know, oh, this is women need this. So women need more confidence. Women need this. Women need that. Well, well, do you know what? Most people I know need more confidence. Most people I know, you know, need development. I, I, women don't need fixing. Um, and I think there are still too many organisations that have what I call a fix the women approach. Whereas 
what this research is clearly telling us is that the environment needs fixing. And, and there are things um, within the everyday culture, everyday environment that, that need fixing, along with policies. You know, you don't, you don't, only a third of women work for companies that have policies on flexible working. Well, that needs to be 100% of women. You know, uh, only uh, 22% of women work for companies that have a clear process on reporting non-inclusive behaviours. That needs to be 100% of those women. So there are those fundamentals that need fixing. And then it's the culture. And the thing that I find so interesting about the gender equality leaders is all of these women, they all report more confidence in reporting non-inclusive behaviours. They all report... Um, that they feel supported by their employer when it comes to work-life balance. And, and they all report that they are progressing in their career as fast as they want to progress. And, and they are where they want to be in their career. Now, these, these women, when you then look at the data for them, these women are showing higher levels of engagement, higher levels of trust, higher career satisfaction, they're planning to stay with their employer for longer because guess what? Only 3% of women that work for gender equality leaders report feeling burned out. They're happier with the mental health support they get. They feel comfortable talking about mental health at work. And interestingly, they're also far more positive on their experience of hybrid working. So, you know, only 7% say, look, I haven't got enough exposure to senior leaders. And only 14% say that they have had the times where they've felt excluded you know, during important meetings. So the data speaks for itself that if, you know, you look at the culture, you look at the environment and you, and you make meaningful, you know, take meaningful actions, the result is vastly different than if you didn't do that. The difference between how women who work for gender equality leaders report things like mental well-being and, and even physical well-being and happiness at work was so, you know, there was such a big gap there between women who work for those leader organisations and the rest. It, it really was quite impressive. And I was wondering, you know, it can feel abstract sometimes when you're hearing about it from just a data perspective. Can you share any stories around what organisations you've worked with are doing to improve or, you know, kind of create that culture that we're, we're kind of seeing in the gender equality leaders or even indeed what you're doing within Deloitte? So look, so start from a Deloitte perspective. Gender equality is a massive priority for us. It is a priority for our leaders. You know, it gets discussed regularly at our leadership our executive, our, our board meetings, we measure progress, we've set goals, we do all of the things that are really important. We have a really big focus on what we call respect and inclusion, on everyday culture. We are enabling empathetic leadership, we're enabling inclusive leadership. You know, our, our Can You See Me films that are actually out there, anybody can use those if they want to. You know, the whole point of those is to educate, to enable people to walk in the shoes of somebody else. So that's really important, you know, real push on um, on our everyday culture. But equally, we have a really it's very significant focus on mental health and well-being. That is actually an inclusion priority for us. So we have a foundation of a respectful, inclusive culture, and then, you know, one of our inclusion priorities, we have um, gender equality or gender balance, um, LGBT plus inclusion, and then mental health. Why is it under inclusion? 
because it's it's around again around culture you know it's it's taking steps to make sure there is no stigma people are able to have conversations people are able to take steps in in you know the way we work people are able to uh, understand burnout to understand what can cause it to take steps so so it is a huge priority for us and you know progress gets measured we have a mental health baseline which is across all 160 countries where we work with some really you know expectations that that they are the absolute they are the baseline they're where we need everybody to be burnout used to be was considered something that was something for the individual themselves to manage and address but it really isn't that way it is something that the leader the team and the individual collectively can work to to address and 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 i think organizations really need to understand that i think it's about prioritizing mental health so putting mental health at the forefront of talent agendas inclusion agendas you know having a full leadership support just talking about it making it okay to not be okay dealing with stigma sharing lived experience stories and then providing you know support so that people can be signposted so if they are um, struggling with mental health challenges where can they go direct how can they be directed so that leaders understand how to respond and then finally the sort of last three things i think is about making flexible working actually work we've talked about flexible working for years and and we know this is a good thing we know that organizations you know it can increase engagement therefore productivity you know it's a good thing and yet organizations are still not embedding it still not making it work and a, a lot of that comes down to you know having leaders who enable it people feeling that they won't be adversely judged if they do work in a different way and then finally making hybrid working work for all we can't have 60% of women being excluded from you know in if that is the way we are going to be working we can't have that happening we can't have them losing access to sponsors to individuals that that really are going to play a big part in their career and there are just you know it's it's embedding inclusion into the way we lead it's taking very deliberate steps and and we could turn hybrid working into a huge success and then finally going back to what was the one thing that the the women we spoke to said they wanted it was a truly respectful and inclusive culture so one where you don't have women saying um that you know that they're experiencing harassment microaggressions one where they if if that does happen they feel safe and comfortable and able to report without career penalty and one where they know it will be taken seriously so those are the ways that we are looking to to try and you know to try and deal with with you know the very worrying findings that we've seen from this research Thank you so much, Emma. There's some really kind of clear recommendations coming through there. And it's been an absolute pleasure discussing the data with you today. And hopefully we'll see some of those markers improve next year in terms of how women feel about the challenges they face in the workplace. And we'll see more of those employers becoming gender equality leaders. I really hope so. Thank you, Hannah. This audio interview is produced by Longitude, a Financial Times company based on research commissioned by Deloitte as part of their Women at Work research for 2022. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next Thursday at 6 p.m.